0: Want to hone your craft as a digital marketer and get expert insights from thought leaders and industry experts? Welcome to the How I Work podcast. I'm your host, Josh Becerra, founder and president of Agurian. Follow us on Twitter at Agurian Tweets or subscribe to our YouTube channel for more great content. Now, here's the episode of the podcast. Hi everybody. This is Josh Passera from Agurian. I'm here with Ryan Truax, uh, director of marketing at Sports Digital. Thanks for being here. It's my pleasure, Josh. Yeah. So Ryan and I, we've known each other for a little while. We have been talking digital marketing, had some lunches and dinners, and you have an amazing brain for this stuff. So I'm super excited to have this conversation. It's good you say? Yeah. I've got a little bio. You. Uh, have done a lot in your career. So from building an internal TV network for the U.S. largest fitness retailer, building brands or up-and-coming brands for SaaS companies, you have a ton of knowledge surrounding marketing. And with your affinity for all things creative and your newfound love for data, we're going to get into all of this stuff. Um, I know that you are an awesome leader, too, in your company. Lead by example. Definitely all about empowering your teams and helping them become their best selves. Oh, so, the goal. Yeah, for sure. So we're definitely aligned on those things. Good to hear. Let's talk a little bit about that career. So you've uh, been in digital here in the Twin Cities, started at Lifetime. So tell the viewers a little bit about your past and how you ended up at Sports Digital. Yeah, I'd say, it's, so
1: my starting, of my career was at Lifetime Fitness, obviously one of the biggest box retailers in the country, a premium event, uh, brand in the healthcare, health and fitness wellness space. Oh, yeah. Through it, it taught me a lot about the interactivity between the business and the consumer at the end of it, because it was all about an experience, experiential marketing, alongside of the digital, obviously, and all tangible goods associated with, you know, brick and mortar related, so. Right. That was an incredible experience because we were able to take something that didn't exist and bring it to life, that being a TV network that was broadcast over to a million. Through it, a lot of different tactics were applied, spent a lot of time with advertisers, understanding media buys, wow. and some of the strategies that surround it, and then also content creation, which we all have an affinity for in the digital marketing age. So. Oh yeah, for sure. That led me to get into SaaS. A number of people came knocking on my door a few different times, and I've been in SaaS now for the last uh, eight years, B2C, B2B2C, and then now B2B as well. So. Kind of a diverse offering of experience which has kind of yeah.
0: benefited me i guess today. yeah i'm sure and that the difference between kind of the big corporate and then like smaller startups i know some of the sas you've been in on the ground floor or early anyway yeah. so what do you think you've learned about if you compare and contrast those two environments like yeah. what have you learned or learned about yourself along the way
1: yeah i would start from a professional standpoint from the business side of, i think i've learned that b2b marketing b2c marketing are more similar than they're often given credit for right? i think that B2B, uh, we often get a little stuffy, maybe a little kind of, we spend a lot of time analyzing ourselves as opposed to trying to meet people where their passion yeah. is. What we forget sometimes in a B2B marketing standpoint is that a lot of people are very passionate about the work they do. Right. B2C marketing tends to do an incredible job of intersecting with one's passion lies. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what I learned early on is the B2C model could have applicability to, or application, excuse me, to the B2B sector. So I started cultivating those thoughts early on and yeah. that's really carried over to my SaaS career where it's been a lot of B2B, B2C, and try to unpack kind of the things that a consumer's always expecting. I don't care if it's the other side of the Bitcoin could be a consumer as well. Of course, an course, it's a human. It is a human often, so yeah. I think just a lot of that kind of cultivation of knowledge throughout the years has been really applicable to businesses that are trying to mature and then work through some of those where do we go from here kind of moments. So. Yeah. Uh, it was nice to work and start in a, a career that allowed me to look at something that's been built upon, that was mature, and was all about kind of iterative growth, yeah.
0: taking that back, reverse engineering that back to its infancy, and then applying it to a business that needed that from the ground up. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's amazing how you're able to like take some of those learnings and then reapply them and, and bring it forward in the companies that you're in today. Yeah. When we prepped for this over lunch, we were talking about like the difference, pros and cons, between ABM, and spending dollars to drive volume, right, and awareness. And I thought you had some really interesting ideas and in how you were thinking about that. So can you share that a little bit here too? Yeah, absolutely. ABM, it's organizational fit, right? Everybody
1: can throw those letters around. It's it's buzzy these days and has been for some time, but you really have to be ready as an organization. It's not just a marketing-led initiative. It is an organizational shift. Yeah. And it's wise of an organization that sees that in their future to start teasing it. So what have I been doing on Sports Digital recently? I, I'd be kidding myself if I was to say I could roll out a full ADM strategy with the staff I have in place, but yeah. I can see in the dear, near distance, or near future, excuse me, but that will be an option. Right. But you have to start seeing that methodology, the thoughts around it, and aligning sales and marketing in a way that maybe previously weren't. Sure. And looking at the account level, what can marketing do to truly move an account forward based upon a variety of tactics, both digital and talent mm-hmm. as well, and I think that if I was to kid myself and say that my, my team was ready to do so, I would lose the traction we built in more of a volume based model right now. You're out there, you're looking at a wide prospect list, you're trying to get it, whittle it down to an ICP. But to try to insert ABM tactics along that journey would be fractured right now. It's all about meeting the prospect or the customer where they're at in their buyer life cycle. And as you get later stages, obviously ABM becomes incredibly powerful. But if I employ the tactics where our organization is at today, early and often. I'd have some misses. Right. I wouldn't be meeting where at. I wouldn't be delivering the value that expected me. Mm-hmm. So right now, if, although I could take the money I have available in my budget to go buy the best ABM tech in class, drop it in, build a team around it. Organization, we're not quite ready yet. Yeah. And that's okay to accept. it. sometimes that's a harsh truth that punches you in the gut and you say, "Boy, I wish we were there today, but it's not quite there." And that's okay because again, it's all about organizational fit. If you are there and your company's mature enough, dive all in on it. Yeah. Spec- specifically, you're spending a lot of time in the enterprise or mid-market sectors. If you're SMB or B two C. Obviously it's something that's not going to be as applicable to you, but if you find yourself trying to go upstream as many SaaS businesses as are, if you're not entertaining it, do more research around it, and then really look at the tactical level what works for your business, yeah. for that ICP as well, because certain things are going to work for others, and ICP is, or excuse me, ABM is not a one-size-fits-all, it's very custom, it's very tailored to the individuals inside of that kind of account. So I think it's more about budget management and not getting out over your skis, right? Because again, it's the sexy terminology, it's been around for some time, people think it's the kind of the silver bullet. We all know there's no silver bullet, but we don't be using it. So it's protecting the budget and getting the best usage out of a current day to align with the business needs and objectives. And that for us is, is it more of a demand by volume right now. Is we have a lot of AEs in our team right now that we need to feed. And based upon my team's fit right now, we just have to be more of a volume model than a kind of down the funnel, sit alongside of ABN and run a parallel with the sales team.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. A Couple of things. So I think there is like organizational readiness is a real thing. I think like, there has to be alignment around philosophically, what are we trying to accomplish? There's like a mindset that needs to exist. And if you don't have those things, then it's really hard to, just, like you said, you can't just drop something in and make it go. So you brought up sales and how you work with sales. Sounds, yeah, you have a lot of account managers compared to your marketing headcount. Managing those relationships that with sales, it's super important. So what have you done or what have you found effective or helpful when like approaching
1: sales. Yeah, one of the things my team is probably sick of me saying is the absolute attention on internal selling that is required. It's just education, it's informative at times, but we get a little assumptive on what we think the sales team knows that marketing is doing, and that's where I think there's the gaps that fall off. Yeah. And so there's this lack of perception of value. What are you doing? How does it apply to the economy kind of my world, that being the right. AE's world? So I think in a world in which we move so fast in SaaS, we have to over-communicate, and to the point of nausea. Like sometimes you think, boy, that redundancy is gonna sound, get a little but in fact, when you're moving that fast, things are often left in the wake of the conversation. Sure. So I think there's a time for redundancy in conversation, but really what we do is we have a lot of different touch points. So we have three pods that are led by directors, and we have different settings in which we talk to different you know, kind of internal clients, and that's directly to the AEs in a setting that's led by their directors, so that's a weekly touch point. Then we also have a secondary touch point, which is the directors and myself and then my senior campaign manager, right. in which we're talking at a little more high-level strategy. We take that strategy and we walk it back for the AEs on more of a one-to-one basis, let them know that they're being cared for and that their voices heard from us yes. as well. And it's that back and forth where they start to see the reciprocation of their, them, their voices being heard, the tactics and the, their asks of the team are being yeah. now met. So I think communication, although often talked about and all those things that are just table stakes, is essential. Right. And it's not just the, the head of marketing, the head of sales talking. It's at the individual contributor level. You have to empower your team and encourage them and to ask them to get uncomfortable. Not everybody is... And as a marketer, who might be a little introverted perhaps, which isn't always the case, but you go to an AE, who's certainly not going to be yeah. that can be an intimidation barrier, but you as a leader must find a way to empower that individual to overcome that barrier so that we're truly communicating and level setting between the two departments. So I think it's a lot that leaders can do, of course, but when you empower those who are at the boots on the ground kind of level yeah. to have that conversation, you don't have to run it by me. If there's something you think you can do to move the needle for them at this point in time. Yeah. Bring that to their attention. It doesn't have to be a formalized meeting cooler talk, down right. the hallway talk, meet them at their stand-up desk, in their office, wherever it might be, and take that opportunity to show the value we can bring to them, uh, and then have a discussion around it. So I think individual contributor up to the leaders, you have to just have a, a frequency uh, uh, of meetings that continually take place, and do your damnedest to not cancel those meetings as well, to try and yeah. maintain and say, I
0: would do have a lot to talk about this week. Use that platform for more ideated discussions. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a great call-out, and honestly again, it harkens back to the fact that we're just, we're people. Account managers are people, and they just wanna feel like they're empowered, they wanna feel like they're being heard and listened to, and on the marketing side of things, we wanna understand what they need, and we wanna, like, we're all on the same team, and I think it many times, like, it becomes very, kind of adversarial or confrontational, and it is it all comes down to like that yeah. lack of communication or just treating each other like people, right? Yeah, yeah. it's that shared
1: empathy for one another, right? Yeah. Like to, to Josh's point here, we are human first, and if we leave with an empathetic edge, we understand each other better, we level set and see the challenge that that party is we're dealing with at that point in time. So how do we solve those challenges yep. and acknowledge them and not ignore them and just say, oh, that's sales problem, that's marketing's problem. Yeah, No, if we're walking and talking in the same line, we're better together than we are individually. So mm-hmm. right? Uh, try to get together and collaborate as much as you can. Yeah. Happy Check. hour.
0: <laughs> Whatever it might take. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So let's shift gears a little bit. We talked about people and relationships and things. Let's talk a little bit more about like KPIs, goal setting, yeah. and all of those things. So you operate on this 90-day goal setting cadence, right? Yes. You've got sprints. And so tell us a little bit about like that cadence, the value unit. I know we've talked about OKRs and things like okay. that. Yeah. I think when you talk about SaaS specifically, you're inherently in a
1: fluid environment. I don't if you're making if you're 100 ARR, if you're five ARR, it's a fluidity you have to embrace and acknowledge. And I, as much as like with any other leader, to to look 12 months out, nine months out, six months out. But sometimes what you find is that time could be wasted because the business shifts so quickly as is your consumer base. So we look at 90 day kind of cycles and what can we accomplish inside of that? How do those goals align with the business needs? And then it was like more rock and pebble based mentality. What can we do to move that pebble closer to the finish yeah. line? And then it supports the boulders or the rocks that are sitting in front of us. So I think it also keeps a very clear path for leadership to understand what are they doing? Are they meeting their goals? Is it measurable? It's outside of some of the data points they always so commonly refer to in marketing. And the sprints that sit inside of that help people feel fulfilled. When you have objectives that take six, eight, 12 weeks, success yeah. is elusive. of that That lack of completion <laughs> Is, is a grind, and yeah. it wears on someone. So if you could look at smaller bites of the apple and, and show that to the team, like in a five-day sprint and a 10-day business cycle, we can accomplish this. Yeah. And you watch the satisfaction in the individuals that are doing the work. It's incredibly empowering. So when we re, we take that sprint and we start it over again, there's enthusiasm, there's right. momentum behind yeah. it, and there's a freshness to initiative that we know is 12 week long, 12 weeks long, excuse me, but our, our wins are small and they amount to something large at the end of the day. Yeah, and, and it helps us become a little more stay in the moment as opposed to, I see the finish line, I'm just going to do whatever I need to do and I may take some steps to get there quicker than I should. Yeah, Just because who doesn't want to finish the race a little early if they can?
0: Yeah, I also feel like it, it offers a, or provides an opportunity for like, leadership even because you have to manage expectations up as well take those bite-sized chunks as well because otherwise leaders can get like way out ahead of their skis and they're thinking about these big initiatives these 12 to 18 month things and if we can break that down into little bite-sized chunks Mm -hmm. it helps them as leaders stay on track and us as marketers Remind them that, hey, like, this is, we said this is our next best step, this is what we're going to
1: do. And I think it's important, too, is it brings leadership closer to the tactics. Now, not every organization has the time in which to unpack the tactics. They typically look at the outcomes and say, I don't care how you got there, you got me the outcomes I I was expecting or hoping for. But when you bring them closer to the tactics and have real-time discussions around the things that you're doing to drive the business forward at that kind of, again, tactical level, they feel very close to you and it's empowering and you're building equity in a relationship. So when you do go out on a ledge for the next day, I'm gonna try something a little radical, you have equity now to do. It's not like you're always having to prove one's self worth because they see the the multiplicity of the work that you're doing from a tactical level, so much so that you're going to get runway in the future when you wanna take that kind of radical progressive step. And I think a lot of marketers Want to take those steps, and they struggle and They said leadership will never give me the allowance to do. Did you get the buy-in and build the equity reliant upon that big ask that you just made? Question yourself, I and mean, you've really got to look yourself in the mirror because people think that they have, but if leadership looks at you sideways, either there was a miscommunication, or you didn't build the equity. You thought, so now yeah. when that ask comes up, you're probably going to get shot down, especially if there's a budget line tied to it as well. Yeah, so for sure. it's about equity building, in my opinion, and again, just transparency and candor always works with leadership.
0: Yeah, in my opinion. So let's again i'm just like feel like i'm a broken record on this video but like Leaders are people too, right? Invest in the relationship. <laughs> Bring them into what you, the work you're trying to accomplish. Help them understand it, educate them up. Like, that it's our job to do all of those things. That's where you build that equity.
1: 100%, I like you said, leaders are people. They wanna be informed and when they feel misled is when you have these gaps. And yep. I mean, if you're communicating effectively, you're not going to have gaps. And the challenging conversations become less confrontational, they become more state- Discussion about the actions you're currently taking. Yeah. And it's it's just a better way of going about it. And again, in my opinion, of course. But
0: yeah, no, I think you're right. Well, we and, share the and, opinion. <laughs> and since we're making the video, we get to say it. Power of numbers. Here. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> All right, a uh, couple more questions. So let's talk customer journey. Yes, yeah, super important. We talk a lot about it on these videos. So explain kind of what you're doing at Sports Digital. What's working for you with yeah. the customer journey?
1: Yeah, I'll go down to two quick things right away. It's, it's about an exchange of value. My team constantly hears me talk about if we're not providing value at every touch point, we're not doing our job. Yeah. Because these days, this day and age, we're inundated with information in a way we never have been before. So people's time is the commodity in which we truly trade. So yeah. I'm going to ask for your time damn well, we're ready to give you the value you expect of us. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. The customer journey that we've been able to build is obviously around automation, if then logics. If you choose to do this, you get this bit of information, but it's really the content that supports that kind of if then Mm -hmm. logic and then based upon your interactivity with it, what's going to serve you next. And again, if we provide value at every touch point, despite your inactivity or activity, there's going to be this really fluid relationship of, they get me, they understand the things that I'm seeking out. We're addressing pain and we're exchanging value and we're selling on the outcomes that we can achieve together. And those ingredients are all mixed together. But again, when I look at the customer journey, it's about a nurture. Again, if you're mid-market to enterprise, your customer journey is probably quite robust and goes on for months months and months. B2C, that customer journey is likely quite short because of the very competitive nature of that sector. And you're gonna have to be Everywhere in front I'm of them, putting
0: in a shopping cart and I'm buying. Yeah, yeah. So
1: I have to work on user experience and UI to I be mean, just you know in milliseconds that first person. But when I look at customer journey, mid-market and an enterprise, I start to think about more of a nurtured sequence that again finding them at the time that they're seeking out the solutions that you can provide them. So. And so it's half of how do you write your automation rules? When did they, When are they not too busy to take that email or to download that piece of content or engage in a presentation or to watch that video? Yeah. Trying to dissect your buyer persona in which way do you understand where those pockets of time are in which they can interact with you. And then that exchange right. of value becomes a great, again, just an exchange that it is. I think it's, again, it's just meeting people where they're at when they want to be met there and then giving them things that exceed their expectations. And if not, create a way in which you can have an open discussion about the needs that they have.
0: Yeah. No, I think you're completely right. Time is a currency. My email is a currency. It, and it caught, like, I, for me to put an email in a form, I really need to feel like I'm gonna get value from it. One so, same way. <laughs> yeah, exactly, so I think you're right on there. Yeah, super I think smart. That's one thing I
1: talk about, too, is imagine yourself, what does it take you to get you to fill up four, four or five fields in a form? It's a bigger and bigger ask, because if you're an enterprise in mid-market sales, you understand what that form submission means. <laughs> EDRs, SDRs hit me up Uh, on LinkedIn, I'm getting calls, I'm getting texts. And I know that's happening as soon as I click submit. So, for my willingness to receive that, I better deem it to be extremely valuable and important, and that I'm excited about the engagement that's forthcoming to me. Yeah,
0: exactly. So that's why we create awesome content so that people can consume it. That is the goal. Okay. So last question, I always ask this of, you know, every guest basically is what are you reading now? Podcasts, what's influencing your thinking? Who's out there that you think is really smart? Tell us
1: yeah so there's probably i'm not a prolific literary admittedly i do a lot of absorption from seeing things those things that are around me just pulling in things that i think are valuable and discarding those well it could are. be a
0: company that you're seeing like man yeah. they're doing an awesome job yeah,
1: yeah. And, I, and actually i would take that and quickly parlay into drmg is currently a sas consultancy here uh, not necessarily in twitter Cities of a national organization mm-hmm. but um Dustin Robertson is a CMO I previously worked for at Lee Pages and Drip back in the day, and he's, yeah. in my mind, one of the more prolific, progressive CMOs I've ever seen. He and a colleague of his started a uh, consulting business called DRMG. They have a podcast out right now, and they just do prolific things all day long. <laughs>
0: just dropping knowledge yeah, Just bombs. knowledge.
1: Dustin taught me one thing long ago, and it says, the greatest marketing lives on the edge of controversy. <laughs> Just knowing that you need to toe the line. If you fit in with the masses, you're not going to stand up from the competition. Yeah. How do you disrupt a category? If you're going to go in and fit in, if you're just going to say, I'll just look like the other competitors. Success is going to be elusive, but disrupting yeah. that category is where it's all at. So DRMG and our podcast, hosted by Ryan Copper, who's another prolific SaaS leader and has been for many. What they do and what they unpack in a short amount of time is really... It's how I think people should be more cons- thinking about their business and the yeah. long-term thoughts. And how does how do you find message and product market fit in ways that haven't been fairly normalized? Mm-hmm. So. I love those guys you can find them anywhere, take a listen to them. I like many others, the LinkedIn feed is now a, a repository of all kinds of information. There's thought leadership everywhere and if you just cherry pick headlines that stick out to you, yeah, yeah. it in itself in three to four or five minutes you can find some really good applicable stuff.
0: Yeah.
1: And I'm actually one of those guys who doesn't mind a webinar these days yet still too, but it has a lot of value. People are doing some incredible virtual events, very, uh, virtual events, excuse me, on very specified topics. So it's no longer just sitting up in the clouds at 30,000 feet and you're like, Heard it all, nothing new here. I think people are getting better about providing actionable content so that you can apply it to your business tomorrow. So I'm not, as we talked about ABM earlier, I'm looking at solutions like a terminus or a demand base they throw out some pretty good content, I'm gonna engage with it as well. Yeah. So I look at more bite-sized uh, content as opposed to someone may read a 300-page book, but right, I, right. I'm looking to pull little nuggets every day, really, so. Awesome,
0: thanks. I haven't heard of those guys, so I'm gonna go check that Get out. Give me the sure. And I appreciate you coming in and doing this with us. This has been great. You've also been dropping some knowledge bombs, so I hope all of you take a little bit of value from what we've done here today. So thanks, Ryan, and we're just gonna say goodbye for now.
1: It's my pleasure. Cheers.
0: Bye. Thank you for listening to the How I Work podcast with Josh Becerra. If you like what you heard, make sure you subscribe. To learn more about Agurian and for more digital marketing tips and insights, head to agurian.com.